I want to, at the outset, give a little bit of a summary because things have been moving very quickly uh, throughout, the book of uh, throughout the book of Revelation and our studies. So you will recall that there are three things going on. One is that there are seven seals that are being opened. And uh, we are at the point of the breaking of the seventh seal. Then under the seventh seal there are seven trumpets. And under the seven trumpets there are the seven bowls of the wrath of God. As the last three of the bowls of the wrath of God are poured out, uh, there are woes uh, that uh, are to come, which are extreme uh, distress upon the earth. And at the end of the seven seals, we're observing uh, the, the uh, and at the end of the seven trumpets, we're observing the last of the three woes uh, that are, that are, uh, that characterize the judgments of God upon the earth at that time. Now, it, it would be helpful in your following along with these teachings for you to realize that the, these three events or these three categories of events, the seven trumpets, uh, the seven, uh, rather the seventh seal, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, they're not as though they're one upon the other. It's a sort of parallelism where this is going on and this is going on and this is going on and uh, all three are occurring at the same time. It, it is reminiscent of what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, the 24th chapter, that great prophetic passage regarding the end of the age. He describes the events as birth pangs on a pregnant woman. We, we have the tendency, you see, when we read these things, to assign a sort of chronological happening, that this happens first and then this happens first and then this happens first. No, it's not really like that. The scriptures speak of these times as distress, the like of which had never been seen before upon the earth. And, and it is this notion of the kind of um, rolling uh, um, one on top of the other kind of a thing that amplifies this great distress. Now one thing to keep in mind, and, and I understand that there are many things to keep in mind. Uh, this is not an easy study um, and in fact uh, it, has been, it has been represented many times by many different scholars and, and uh, teachers and the rest of it. So it's an, it's an area of study that is, 
is complex on many levels. That is why the scriptures speak of these things as requiring, quote, men of understanding. Because what is coming together in the book of Revelation and throughout the book of Revelation are all the things, all the pieces that have been prophesied uh, before throughout scripture. And it, it, it's as though you're drawing the, the purse string or drawing the net together uh, to encircle everything and that's the function of the book of Revelation. And, and it, it references things, um, when John references things as if the writer is thoroughly familiar with these things and there is an innate assumption that everybody else is familiar with them as well. So for example, uh, we'll get to it at uh, the end of chapter 11 or, or, or halfway through chapter 11 where he says, and the beast that, co- that comes up out of the abyss. Now he assumes that the writer the, or the readers are familiar with Daniel the seventh chapter which speaks of that beast. So he doesn't set it up as if he is the original narrator of scripture. It sets it up as though for the times and when these things are to occur that the readers will understand. Uh, so, and, and much like Jesus said it in his own rendition of prophetic scripture when he said, uh, and when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing in the holy place as written as spoken by the prophet Daniel, let the, let the reader understand. There is a, a cognition that these are not simple one-dimensional uh, references, that they do represent first the culmination of prophetic scripture and secondly that it is, there is an innate assumption that the readers are familiar with prophetic scripture. The best I can tell you is that it would appear to me that these things were intended for a time and for a people who would be substantially familiar with prophetic scripture. And this would not have been the case in the first century. And in fact, it would not have been the case um, even amongst the Jews in the, fir- in, in the time of Jesus. Because Jesus himself described the condition of the Jews back in his day as like the days before in Isaiah, uh, where, quote, seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. It's interesting that Paul, uh, in his last set of statements in the book of Acts, as the book of Acts is concluding, uh, speaks of the condition of Israel as one in which people existed in a state of seeing and not seeing, hearing and not hearing, neither do they understand. And, And for a people, 
any, at any time in history who has this pre-existing condition of seeing only what they want to see, hearing only what they want to hear, the scriptures are always going to be hidden. But there's the anticipation of scripture that in the last days there will be a proliferation of the spirit of prophecy in as much as the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is described as a spirit of prophecy. So there is the understanding that, uh, and again, in, in, as it regards the last days, things, such as, things are said such as um, men will go here and there, or go to and fro, and knowledge will increase. So while there is an increase in secular knowledge, and while there is a proliferation of secular things, there's also going to be a proliferation of spiritual, of the knowledge and understanding of spiritual things. Uh, it is said in these terms, but Jesus speaking to his disciples said, but to you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And even the book of Revelation itself, uh, connecting back to the book of Daniel, uh, indicates that, that, that when, 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 when in the book of Daniel it concludes where Daniel is told, go your way for now, you will sleep in the end of, you will sleep uh, in the dust of the earth, but in the end of the age, in the end of the anticipated time when these things will be true, um, knowledge will increase. That is, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, the knowledge of the things of God will greatly increase upon the earth. So no one is to be blamed for not understanding ahead of time. In other words, our forebears in the faith were not given the, these understandings so they could only guess at things. I'm, I'm both amused and amazed at some of the wild speculations of scholars uh, from the past, uh, where there was a fixation on the activities of uh, the, the Turkish Ottoman Empire and the religion of Islam. There was a time when those things seemed altogether um, positioned to to carry the symbolism of prophetic references. At a later time, uh, there was an, uh, an obsession with, in the, with the, the prophetic scholars in, uh, in Europe in particular, there was an absolute obsession with Napoleon and uh, he was viewed as either the Antichrist or clearly someone who was uh, foreshadowing uh, the activities of the Antichrist. But none of these things were true as history proves. We have seen more recent attempts to, to understand these things um, in such writings as Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth, um, completely missing the mark I might add, and indeed full of conjecture and 
and um, assumptions common to the Baptist religion, for example. But you know, it's been more than it's been more than fifty years since the writing of the late great planet Earth, and of course, its history has thoroughly debunked. There's not a shred of what remained in that writing that is relevant today. We keep on going and the things that um, at one time in history caught the fancy and the imagination of people uh, have now been thoroughly debunked. I might mention 88 reasons why Jesus was supposed to have come in, in 88. But the main, the main problem you see is this. There is a kind of a linear understanding or an attempt to understand prophetic scripture in a linear fashion. And that's always going to fall flat, that's always going to miss the mark because there are things that are in creation that are representative of the mindset of God who lives outside of creation. He is in creation in as much as all creation is in him, but he is beyond creation. So we'll notice such things as the fact that heaven and earth were created. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He created the heavens to put in them a representation of things that existed in himself, things that relate to the original intent and how he intended to pursue and to prosecute the original intent in time. But the original intent is the perfect score, it is the perfect depiction of what it will be like when God wraps it all up. Heaven is, a is, the, is one of two orders one of two realms in which, in creation, in which God deposited these things that were to come to pass at the end of the age. In heaven, he placed the more complete representation of the things that are eternal that he's placed in time and in the created realm. And on the earth, he placed types and shadows of these heavenly things, which in turn are types and shadows of these eternal things. So, for example, uh, the tabernacle, uh, which we'll find, to which we'll find a reference momentarily when we start looking at uh, uh, Revelation 11, uh, there is a reference to the tabernacle in heaven or there's a reference to the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, there's a further reference to the temple in heaven. Um, all of those had an earthly um, representation. Now the, the temple with an earthly representation of what is in heaven, a representation of what is in the eternal, the temple is was a reference to the temple in Jerusalem and the history of the Jews as it related to the building of the temple. 
So it's a physical building. And, and, but within that physical building, reference the temple, there was something called the Holy of Holies. And the primary thing in the Holy of Holies is something called the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that contained uh, symbols. There were, there were actual realities, actual things, but these things were symbolic in their references. And they referenced things in heaven, which in turn referenced things in the eternal. So in the box you had a, a um, you had the, the two tablets of stone, you had the book of the law, representing uh, a covenantal relationship um, between God and the people. You had a pot of manna, uh, which represented food and sustenance and an economy that was not connected to the earth but came out of heaven. You had uh, the rod that budded, which also suggested eternal life, life that was not connected to the realm of the natural. And in that sense represented Zoe life, the life of the spirit, which is unlike Suke, the life of the soul, or Bios, the life of the body, it does not uh, connect, it is not sustained by, nor is it connected to a source of, of maintenance that is rooted in the earth. So, but then when you take these things and look at them in heaven, they actually refer to something that is eternal. So in heaven, uh, instead of the temple, you typically a building on the earth, you have a, a greater focus upon the Holy of Holies, which is referenced as the naos of God, N-A-O-S, the naos of God. The naos is, when there's a reference to the naos, it's the representation of the dwelling place of God, but in that dwelling place of God, referenced in heaven, you're seeing what it refers to in the eternal, because it's a people. It, re it represents a people. The naos is, in the Holy of Holies, it's the people of God. And then there is an altar, which, uh, an altar of incense, which, which is a reference to what was in the Holy of Holies in, in the earthly tabernacle, but there in heaven it's a clear representation of prayers of the saints. But in the eternal it represents a people who have sacrificed their lives to God, meaning uh, they've become a living sacrifice. So in the eternal, the naos, limited as it is in, in depiction and in representation in heaven, the naos is in a sense the end from the beginning, the final summation of the reason that God created the heavens and the earth and the symbolic references of heaven and, and uh, the, the even greater material symbolism of the earth. And that would be a people, a man in the image and likeness of God, which God declared outside of time and space and outside of a, a position relative to heaven was his intention for the creation of the heavens and the earth. So there is this summary 
going on um, in the book of Revelation. That's why things appear contemporaneously in a sort of parallelism uh, as opposed to how they appear, how they might appear in a more or less um, linear progression where you could say uh, there are the seven trumpets and when they're finished, they're the seven uh, uh, vials of the wrath of God and when they're finished, they are the seven uh, um, seals or the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials. It's a continuous progression, a concept that we typically miss, you see, if we think of earth and logic and the progression of things as the primary focus. Prophetic scripture, frankly, is never like that. And that's why the Bible speaks of people who have a mind of understanding. And the writers of prophetic scripture, the, the, the articulators of prophetic scripture, whether it's the Lord Jesus Christ, Daniel in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Zechariah, all of these we've referenced as we've progressed through the, the study of the book of Revelation. And in the New Testament, of course, uh, um, the various writers who reference prophetic things and now, in a sense, the mother load of prophetic scripture as it relates to the end of the age, the, the book of Revelation, these all assume a people who are led by the Spirit, who have been given understanding, indeed, of the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. There are the characteristics of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, and the fear of the Lord, in addition to, of course, uh, lordship, the, 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 uh, the right to rule and the understanding of how the Spirit of God establishes the rule of Christ in and throughout the earth. So I thought that I would pause here before we launched into um, the rest of the deconstruction of the book of, uh, of, the, of the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation and mention these things. This was more of a summary of and, and, a, and commentary on the movement of prophetic scripture. Now, as we go on then, uh, I want to use the time uh, to, uh, to, to, in a sense, set up uh, some further comments I wish to make uh, that go with our depiction of and our deconstruction of chapter 11 as it regards the two witnesses. Uh, so I want to summarize this particular uh, portion to say that in this sort of parallelism, uh, the, the, it represents the unfolding of the plan of God to bring about the grand end of things under these three aspects which mutually complement each other. Now, going to uh, the 11th chapter, um, 
First, and again in summary, first we saw a measuring rod where the naos of God, the dwellers within the Holy of Holies, the body of Christ, uh, whether in heaven or on the earth, they are measured. And again, I, I referenced this measurement has to do with the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Christ is the arch archetypal rod, the, the, the measuring stick, as it were, that comes out of the stump of Jesse, according to the 11th chapter of the book of uh, Isaiah. And he is referenced as uh, the, the measurement of the full and mature uh, body of Christ. Uh, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, speaks of until we come to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. The point of this, of course, is that we are meant to carry His glory in the earth. If you, if you see the, the body, you will see the head. Just like in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you saw the Son, you would see the Father. So, and these are about summarizing things. You see, this is not a new launching of anything in the earth. It's the drawing together, as I said earlier, pulling together the net, pulling together, as it were, the purse strings, so that the thing God started creation to achieve and to accomplish is now being verified in much the same way that before Jesus went up into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, God, and, and upon his baptism by John, God from heaven announced by way of confirmation that this is the beloved Son in whom he's well pleased and the Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove before the presentation of the thing that God is doing there's the authentication of it and then there is the testing of it that allows us then to understand that the rod of measurement has come. This same the same progression will be observed momentarily when we get into the 12th and 13th chapters of the book of Revelation because what he's doing, he's establishing the authenticity of the standard by whom he intends to bring about judgments. Why is this so? Because God is just. God is just. No one will be able to say, well God if you had really shown us what is true, then we would not have, we would, we would have gravitated toward it. But in, in suddenly judging us, he didn't give us a chance. No. At the moment, at this moment in history, there is occurring a great falling away. In the last minute of this uh, recording, uh, I want to say what we're being shown in the earth is a great falling away, a deceived church that has taken up arms in the heart of a nation because its leaders have for decades fed the people lies that somehow the United States of America is the Kingdom of God and the preservation of the nation of the United States is tantamount to 
the preservation of the kingdom of God. And this is not so. The United States has never been, it is not now, nor will it ever be the kingdom of God. But unruly mobs are descending upon the capital, praying in the name of Jesus in the hallowed places of a nation's um, identity. This is, this is the quintessence of what is false. This is the false church having risen up. Now, this is not the body of Christ, but it will be persecuted as if it is the body of Christ. And all this stuff, all of this sound and fury, and all of the, the loud talk will disappear in the face of persecution. The persecution will swiftly come and all of this will disappear. These leaders will vanish when the price of their behavior is required. But what will remain is a level of hubris, a level of anger that's demonically stirred against the person of Christ. Now some will not run because they're the real ones. They are the ones who are being prepared by measurement and by, by endorsement from heaven itself. They are the standard by which the false will be judged. Once it has been authenticated and presented, it will be tested by the devil. That's where the persecution will come. This test will establish that this is the authentic measure and by this measure then, both the unfaithful and the pretenders as well as the earth itself will be judged by the authenticity, the integrity, the faith of those who indeed are measured, judged and approved of God those whose sacrifices being described as, lim as, as living now carry the thing that judges the earth. They will be able to test and to approve not only the good will of God or the pleasing will of God, but the perfect will of God. It will have become evident in them. So there are just a few more things I want to talk about in regards to the two witnesses and uh, then we'll move on into the, the signs in the heavens above. I'm Sam Solon and we'll continue our discussion. Blessings to you. Bye-bye.